Okay, we'll be in John chapter 12 and be looking at verses 12 through 19 this afternoon. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Um, this is, uh, I suppose, one that we've heard before not too long ago, as we traditionally use this passage on Palm Sunday. Um, but we'll be looking at it again today as we are going through this chapter. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. On the next day, many people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel, that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat upon it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that were with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this cause the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for the reading of the scriptures. Pray you will bless it to our hearing and understanding, that your Holy Spirit may minister it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the passage that we'll be looking after, I said, is, uh, is a traditional passage, and we often look at this uh, around, just before Easter, Palm Sunday, um, and it, it is a passage which uh, is quite significant when we stop and think about the prophecies of Christ and of those things that relate to Christ. Uh, because the closer we get to the cross, we find that these events uh, were very much important to what Christ came to accomplish and to do for us as he came to save his people from their sin. The title of the message here, Hosanna, Save Now, that is what the word Hosanna means, to save now. And we know that uh, this uh, being a prophetic statement is one which came to the hearts of the people um, with not a lot of understanding. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, but these are the three areas we'll be looking at. Jesus would be recognized as their promised king and savior. Um, as we know that uh, there were many people, as Jesus came into Jerusalem that Passover week, um, and that they would recognize Christ. Uh, but um, recognizing him only as that one who had done many miracles, even the raising of Lazarus, recognizing him as the one who had fed a multitude of people with loaves and fishes, had healed many people of diseases and uh, deformities, uh, 
the paralyzed man. Um, he was a man, Jesus was a man that nobody could ignore. And uh, we find that the crowd did not ignore him. And certainly the religious rulers did not ignore him. Uh, whether they were friend or foe, they recognized who Jesus was, that he was a significant person on the horizon within the, uh, the framework of Judaism. And, uh, of course, those who were religious rulers were afraid of his popularity. Secondly, Jesus was sent of God and prophesied by Zechariah. <coughs> So this becomes an, uh, the kind of the focal point of his um, of this event, you might say. Uh, he was Jesus was son of God. It goes to his incarnation. Uh, he was the incarnate son of God, um, announced by angels, and gave um, came through the birth uh, by Mary, and was truly um, recognized by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And so this is no small prophecy. Uh, very significant indeed. And so it bears our looking at it. And then thirdly, the disciples later realized the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now isn't that true? Prophecy is so difficult uh, and sometimes obscure to us that it is not even realized of the fulfillment of it until after the fact. And one would think that this prophecy would have been recognized for what it truly was because Zechariah had prophesied it and much of the Old Testament it was given to certain prophecies of Christ and yet here is Jesus among them fulfilling the very words of one of their own prophets and they were having trouble understanding who Jesus was. And we'll look at that too. And so these, um, these things are important, of course, as we think about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvin comments that the much people, spoken of here in verse 12, who came to Jerusalem were a greater part of a multitude of people who came to the feast a crowd of strangers and pilgrims who came for the celebration of the Passover. Now that is significant when we stop and think about it because all of these people came to the city of Jerusalem at this particular time known as the Passover. And so there were many strangers as in pilgrims who would come uh, from other places. And uh, we find that... Um, well, you may recall even the, uh, the time when Philip met a certain eunuch and visited him in a chariot and read unto him the words of Isaiah. Um, he had come from Ethiopia. And so many people came to Jerusalem for different reasons. Um, and uh, so... It is significant because it goes to the fulfillment of prophecy, you see. Uh, and not all of these people had a clue as to what was really happening. Uh, but they did know by popularity and of the uh, fame of Jesus 
that he was coming into Jerusalem that day. And they did, the crowd, the crowd was uh, very much interested in this, in, in Christ as a figure, as a leader, as a significant man of God, a prophet if you would, or a miracle worker. Uh, many of them had different ideas about who Jesus was. And so this much people who came to Jerusalem were a greater part of the multitude. Uh, so uh, this was the tenth day of the month Nisan, and the Paschal Lamb was to be set apart and kept until the fourteenth day of the month. So this was the tenth day, and the Paschal Lamb was to be set apart until the fourteenth day of the month. And on that day, they were to kill the lamb in solemn observance of the day that the death angel passed over all Israel in Egypt, and that God delivered the people, his people, by the blood sprinkled upon the doorpost and upon the lintel, as the death angel passed through the land of Egypt, we find that God would deliver his people. Deliverance in the Old Testament is very much akin to salvation in the sense of the people of God. Certainly, God delivered them on many occasions, but this being a most significant one. It, Moses himself being a type of Christ, called of God to lead his people out of bondage. And we find that Pharaoh being the nemesis, if you will, of the people of God. And Moses having to stand up to such a, a king, such a leader of a nation. And that God alone spoke through the man Moses. We find that this... Uh, became the uh, pinnacle point of the deliverance of the people of God, that God would at last free his people from the clutches of Pharaoh, from bondage, from sin. And, and so what happens here then is very much a type of what Christ came to do, is not, that he came to deliver from the bondage of sin, that he became a deliverer that was sent, of, sent by God. That he was a man who spoke the very words of God. That he did the very signs and miracles of God. And that he was not limited by only a human body. Because he was the incarnate God. And so Jesus becomes the fulfillment of everything that in type this Passover occasion did stand for to the people of Israel. And of course the unbelievable thing of the whole issue is this. They really didn't know what was happening. In fact, the very religious rulers who should have known were most threatened and wanted to destroy Jesus. 
And when we think of an unsaved world, and when we think of the enmity that is in the hearts of those who are against God, in this world, even today, who do you think they would want to save and who do you think they would want to kill? If they had the opportunity, they would kill Christ all over again and save themselves. And so this prophecy is one that goes before Christ to the cross. And so the fulfillment of this Passover was a day when Jesus should be recognized as their prophesied king and savior. So looking at verse 12 and 13 in John chapter 12, it says, On the next day many people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And so this prophecy uh, does depend on people to recognize what is happening. Prophecy is, of course, God's revelation to man that otherwise man cannot know except God give it. But God controls the fulfillment of his word. And so the kind of the amazing thing is, is that here is Jesus, he's coming into the city of Jerusalem, and he is coming riding upon this donkey, this colt of a donkey, Uh, a young colt that had never been sat on before. And he comes riding into the city that there is a a ready-made crowd because there is these much people, both both citizens of Jerusalem, the daughters of Zion, as it is called in this text. There is this group of people. Then there is the pilgrims who have come from afar. And the mix of the people, the much people, the multitude of the people, they recognize Jesus coming into the city. And they immediately start fulfilling this prophecy of Zechariah. They immediately start fulfilling it by cutting branches um, off in the palm trees. They were considered probably the shorter palm trees. Uh, I think it might, might, I think it's the date palm is actually what they are called, the date palm. And they, they, they grow much shorter. They're not the ones we typically see in Miami Beach, you know, that are 50 feet tall and they've got to, got to scurry up the, up the tree to cut off a branch. No, these are the small, smaller date palm, which is, would be um, a shrubbery more local to the ground. And these were cut off, and uh, um, they were often used to uh, herald some particular event, such as uh, a time of peace and prosperity. Um, but they were done. This was done in fulfillment of Scripture. And, and we, we dare say they didn't even know what they were doing. Is, that's the, the amazing part of it. They did not even know what they were doing, except they were doing something as culturally and traditionally 
uh, set within the framework of the of the people that this was this was a natural thing for them to do, but yet it was a prophetic thing for them to do. It was prophetic. As to a celebration, it was traditional. As to prophecy, it was not traditional. They did they didn't know, not fully. Not fully did they know. If you think prophecy is so easy to figure out, you ought to hear the, the, many, pre, the many preachers who have preached on the book of Revelation. <laughs> or, or any other prophetic book, such as Ezekiel or Daniel. Or, I mean, there is as many uh, views of, peop, of, of uh, preaching on these particular prophetic books um, as uh, we say we proverbially can shake a stick at. <laughs> prophecy is not easy to figure out um, yet we find that when the proper occasion comes God fulfills it and that is exactly what we know to be true in relationship to the prophecies concerning Christ especially at this particular time God was fulfilling this prophecy through this certain celebration that people were making of Christ coming into the city of Jerusalem. But yet God was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. God was doing that. God does not require people to do things for him. But he sets up the occasion that he might bring it to pass according to his will and his purpose. And so this prophecy, on the next day, the Lord's day, or perhaps even the first day of the week it may have been, the tenth day of the Jewish month Nisan, on which the Paschal Lamb was set apart to be kept until the fourteenth day of the month. See, it was very, very precise. See, that's something we have to recognize, too, about prophecy. It's very precise. The thing that's a little obscure is how we look at it many times. That's the obscurity, what, what, how we look at it. But as far as the actual prophecies, the prophecies are very precise. And this prophecy of the Passover and the, this tradition of holding this Passover was, was a very precise activity and event. And so we find that they were to keep it. So therefore, let us keep the feast of the Passover. So, um, in having to do with our own Christian faith and of those things concerning Christ, we find in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says this, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye were as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So, from this very activity of Christ being our Passover who sacrificed for us, we get a spiritual truth. We get a spiritual truth. He says, therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, as we find this word being written to the Corinthian believers, he says, Christ is our Passover. He is our Passover lamb. 
let us keep the true sense of the Passover in the spiritual, in the spiritual. And neither let us keep it with the leaven of malice and wickedness. See, those were the things that really destroy malice and wickedness. He says, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And we find with Christ that it is said, if you would be free indeed, then you must know the truth because the truth shall set you free. See, here is the the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He is our Passover lamb. Well, as we read on here in verse 13, that they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him, meet Jesus, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. They said the very words that Isaiah prophesied. It's a little amazing, perhaps, to you, as it is to me, that people can use the words of the Bible even the words of Jesus, and yet not know him. Yet not have the true reality of Christ. But they will, I'm sure you have heard it over and over again. People will use the words of the Bible. And they'll use the words of Jesus, the words in red, as they like to call it. But yet, we find that the evidence of True faith or true sincerity and truth is not in them. And I don't say that piously. I say that biblically. I say that biblically. Not not as a holier-than-thou person. No, I say that as biblically as we know that the world does not follow Christ. They follow politics. You know, if a a person's politics is almost as important as their religion. I mean, that's why it has been said for a long time, two subjects that you shouldn't talk about is politics and religion. And and, and we find that people are are very much um, attached to those True politics, if you will. It is difficult to know exactly what this multitude thought about Jesus. You know, that might be debated. You might say, well, certainly the Pharisees must have known. Certainly the Sadducees must have known. What about the Herodians? What about that group of people, that part of the Sanhedrin? You know, what about the people who saw him do the miracles? 
what about those people? They must have known who Jesus was. But yet we find as quickly as they hail him, Hosanna, save now. As quickly as they hail him with those words, they turn around later and say, crucify him. And so we find that um, they were carried away with the emotion of the hour. Doubtless some of the group were true believers. Um, We would be, you know, foolish not to say that there were some who did believe. Some who were true disciples of Christ. Certainly Mary and Martha were disciples of Christ. Certainly the eleven minus one, were disciples of Christ. And there were many, of course, what about the ones who were actually um, changed by the miracles which Jesus did? There were many of those, no doubt, who believed that Jesus was the Messiah of God. Their knowledge may have been somewhat limited, but there there must have been many who, who were. And so, as, but generally, the general impression is that most of the people had no real interest in Jesus. They had no real interest in Jesus. And so we find that that in itself has not changed. There is a great host of people who, even today... They don't know what to think about Jesus. Palm branches, of course, are a token of rest and peace, according to the scriptures, and we find Revelation 7-9 as one of those passages, which is often read, the word Hosanna meaning save now. Putting these thoughts together, it would seem as if the people were acknowledging Jesus, but yet at the same time, They didn't know who Jesus really was. Well, I suppose, um, you know, you perhaps tried to witness to people before and they acknowledge Jesus. And then you try to go further with your discussion with that person or people and they don't seem to know Jesus. And so on a general sense, you know, people, people will, will acknowledge Jesus. They'll acknowledge Christianity. They'll acknowledge certain things about Christ. But on, on another level, they don't really know. And that seemed to be where the crowd was as well. And we find that um, they were looking perhaps for something other than what Jesus was willing to give them. If they truly had known that Jesus was the long-awaited King and Savior prophesied by Zechariah and spoken of in the Psalms, things might have been different. In Psalm 118.25, says, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. And then, of course, Zechariah's passage, which he gives in Zechariah 9.9, 9, 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lonely and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus makes his entry into the city like one of the anointed kings spoken of by the prophets. You see, the anointed kings, the true kings of Israel, would not have ridden, ridden into the city of Jerusalem on a white horse. They wouldn't have done that. Because, why? Because a prophet would have, would have anointed them with oil. They would, have, they would have come quite differently. Because they would have come in, in the fear of the Lord. And they wouldn't even... They wouldn't even assume that role of king of Israel unless the prophet had anointed them. Who was the prophet that, if you will, anointed Jesus? Well, the forerunner was John the Baptist, but of course God sent his anointing out of heaven, a dove, as it were, landing upon him, showed the anointing of the Messiah. And so we get that sense of the true humility of the one who would be known as king of Israel. Lowly and riding upon a colt of a donkey. And yes, this is, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is the kind of thing that God's king would come in like not the nations the nations would have brought coronation and gold and he, the, uh, a, a chariot of horses would have would have ushered him through the gates and so that is why we we see that this is so significant it is just according to what the word of god says and so Jesus makes his entry as one of the anointed kings spoken of by the prophets. In Isaiah 62, 11, it says, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And so here Isaiah speaks about one who who comes, who bringing salvation, it reflects the words of, of Zechariah. In Matthew 21, 5, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon a colt, the foal of an ass. In Luke 19, 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Mark 11.9, And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then, of course, verses 14 and 15 here in this passage concerning Jesus. And they found, 
And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat upon it, as it is written, Fear not, O daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting upon an ass's colt. And so Jesus rode into the city on a young donkey, a common mode of transportation, very much used throughout the whole nation of Israel. And we find that the Assyrian horses, or the Babylonian horses, um, arrived much later and were not common to the people. But the humility of one of God's chosen kings of Israel came in this manner. Just as Zechariah promised, just as Zechariah said would take place. And so this quotation taken from Zechariah 9.9, there the prophet predicted that when the king came to Israel, he would be sitting as he was upon a certain colt. And the daughter of Zion, a figurative expression referring to the Jewish people and to a hill, a hill in Jerusalem, Zion, we find that all all these parts of the prophecy were significant to Jesus' entry into the city. Humility was the virtue of the king who honored God, and a contrite spirit was the character of one who wanted to do the will of God. Now, Pastor Bo gave some of the scripture this morning out of Psalm 51 concerning that. A humble and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Well, who made the statements? David, a king in Israel. And such were to be the character and virtue of those who would be known as king in Israel. And it appears that uh, Saul was rejected because he really did not possess much of that character. The things which he did reflected otherwise. And so we find that uh, God meant for these things to take place exactly as they were traditionally expected to take place, but moreover, prophetically spoken to take place, even to the very crowd of people who were there, and not just the people who were citizens of the city of Jerusalem, but much people, pilgrims, even strangers, When God fulfills his word, he does not require man to cooperate. God will set the stage for it. And I think that's we, uh, I think that's why the church has been, well, perhaps uh, so undecided about prophetic truths. Because we, we sometimes we, we look for something that isn't there. There is prophecy, God's going to fulfill it, but he only tells us it's going to happen, and he'll give some sense of a description of it, but how he actually fulfills it, he leaves to himself. 
And so Jesus came to Jerusalem as only a true king could come. And so, again, looking at verses 14 and 15, and Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat upon it, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written, you see, we, we come back to, this is prophecy, as it is written, that's prophecy. As it is written, as God reveals it in his word. And um, even to the this, this sense of, he says, fear not, daughter of Zion, um, You know, we get, perhaps we get a sense from that that there is some question about the fulfillment of something. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Um, how long had they been waiting for a promised Messiah? Quite a while. Hundreds of years since the time that Abraham was promised a promised seed. And, and uh, Isaac was born. And perhaps the next time we, we remember something, it is Anna and Simeon in the temple. And Simeon saying something to the effect that the Lord had blessed him to see the day of his coming. You see, the Lord doesn't seem to be in a big hurry, does he? At fulfilling the things that he has written. And, and, I, and we, we seem to be in a lot of hurry <laughs> at fulfilling the things that he has written. <laughs> but the Lord doesn't seem to be in so much of a hurry. Uh, we, we, we continue to wait upon him. And so the arrival of Jesus into the city was met by this with a joyful celebration as a monarch about to receive his coronation as a king to his throne. Now the reason we know that to be true because the crowd really didn't have a clue. They were participants. They were, they were participating in the fulfilling of prophecy and didn't really even know it save for those certain people which were called disciples and had become followers of Jesus and believed he was the true Messiah, but even their knowledge was limited. And just as the prophecy of Zechariah predicted, yet apart from the enthusiasm of the crowd to inaugurate Jesus as a popular figure, they knew little of his divine appointment or true mission as promised Messiah. What promised to, what, what king of Israel is going to come in and be coronated and then crucified on the cross? That's a downer. That's a, that's a kind of a letdown, wouldn't it be? You see, they did not know the full extent of the prophecies concerning Christ. Popular opinion knows little of the fulfillment of God's purposes. Popular opinion knows little of the fulfillment of God's purposes. We also recognize that the same people healing him now would later condemn him. The donkey was borrowed from a friend 
And unless we re- he receive undue recognition, we aren't told even who the friend was. Jesus was the central figure of this pro- prediction, of this prophecy. Though Jesus would tell his disciples to go to such and such a place and to tell the owner of the donkey that he had need of him, we were not told anything. Why? Because the focus is on Jesus. The fulfillment of prophecy is to focus on the one that it is spoken of. And so Jesus would would leave parts of those events obscure for a reason. But the one thing that would stand out would be that Zachariah's words would be fulfilled upon him. The whole event is about Jesus. In Luke 19.33, And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And of course, they cut off the palm branches and did that which was necessary to the fulfillment of the prophecy. Continuing in the reading in Luke, and when he was come nigh, even at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As palm branches were often used to usher in celebratory events such as peace, and glory unto God. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. God would fulfill his prophecy by any means necessary. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. And I, I think that was probably the closest illustration I could get to it here on the inside of the folder. It appears that Jesus is looking out over the city and is weeping over the city of Jerusalem. The daughter of Zion is a figurative expression then referring to the Jewish people. If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. You see, the passage even says it. The crowd didn't know. It was hid from their eyes to know. And of course, so we can understand that God did not want anything to prevent the events that should take place concerning Christ. All had to take place. Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. And so the phrase daughter of Zion is a figurative expression referring to the Jewish people. 
The Believer's Bible Commentary makes this note. The disciples did not realize that what was happening was an exact fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, that Jesus was entering Jerusalem as the rightful king of Israel, but after the Lord had gone back to heaven to be glorified at the right hand of the Father, it dawned on his disciples that these events were in fulfillment of the scriptures. It's kind of... I'm kind of wondering, you know, when the Lord does finally come, after the fact we'll say, oh, the Lord came. (laughs) I didn't know he was coming today. (laughs) We, We think we're going to know ahead of time, but it seems that it will happen in such a quick manner and completely according to God's plan that we will be taken by surprise. But nonetheless, the Lord tells us to watch and be ye ready. For we know not the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. And so, Jesus was sent of God and prophesied by Zechariah. Then lastly, the disciples later realized the fulfillment of the prophecy. So the disciples later realized the fulfillment of the prophecy. And then the people realized that this was he that did miracles, and even his enemies marveled at these things. So when we read uh, the last part of this, uh, 16 through the end of the, to verse 19, says, these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they, these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that were with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this cause the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle. And the Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. We've done everything we can to stop it, and it's happened anyway. And the disciples, who thought they had a pretty good handle on who Jesus was, didn't know everything that was happening. And certainly the much people and the populace did not know. But yet the prophecy was fulfilled. We might ask the question, why are we so dull of hearing the spirit of fulfillment when it comes to prophecy? One observation is because these things are the fulfillment of the revelation from God. And we have no such knowledge of it until after it happens. You see, if God gives revelation, it's supposed to be something that we don't know. But God reveals to us. So should it surprise us that we aren't really being uh, informed when it is going to happen? I mean, it's like saying, well, God is supposed to tell us first before he does something. That doesn't seem to be the way it works. Even if we are told before time that prophecy will be fulfilled, 
we are unable to say with any real exactness when it will occur, except in a general way, as as it is explained in the scriptures. So in a general way, when, as, is, as it is explained in the scriptures, we, we read it, we look at it, we, tr- we study it, we say this is going to happen, it's going to happen, but we don't know exactly when. We just know it's going to happen, you see. We know the Lord is coming again when... Well, that's at the end of the church age. You see, that's a kind of in a general way, isn't it? If there was any real... Ex- People have tried to figure this out, folks. You know, they've tried to put a date on things. And every time they do, they get egg on their face. <laughs> because they don't know. <laughs> God doesn't call them and tell them. <laughs> But we can know in a general way, yes, the prophecy is there with Zechariah 9.9. They should have known something was going to happen sooner or later, that somebody was going to show up who called himself the Messiah and had every sign that he was the true Messiah of God and he would be coming into Jerusalem just as Zechariah said, but still, they lack that, that foreknowledge that God can give. They lacked it. So it seems to be what was happening in this account. The crowd wanted one thing, a visible king and country, and God wanted a spiritual king and savior of his people. You know, just like I read earlier uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, how that the leaven of malice is something we ought to be very careful of because it can destroy a church and a people and fellowship. But the spirit of God and truth, you see, now that is the unleavened. Well, they wanted a king and country And God wanted a spiritual savior of his people. And not just of his people, moreover, all nations. He wanted a spiritual savior of all nations and all peoples that would call upon him. The Great Commission. The the extended idea of the covenant that was given to Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed in him. And the spiritual seed of Abraham would be known moreover than just a literal physical seed. And so verse 17, the people therefore that were with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead bore witness, they said, yes, yes, this is he, this is Jesus. For this cause the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle. So there was a great enthusiasm. They did know that Jesus had done these things. They knew certain things. Well, we know certain things too. 
And we have certain enthusiasm for prophecy and for the coming of the Lord and, and of all those things that have to do with the second coming and the end of the age. That's as far as it goes. We have to wait upon the Lord and let him fulfill these things according to his word. The people were following Jesus for the miracles he did. <clears throat> but his enemies were following Jesus to undermine his popularity and to kill him. So um, you might say this was quite disappointing, perhaps, to Jesus, except Jesus knew, of course. In John chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says this, And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Because these people, they, wherever Jesus went, there was this group of people following him. He did miracles, and they followed him. But they really didn't know everything about Jesus. They really did not have a genuine knowledge of who he was. They thronged him that day, but the true sense of what was happening was the revelation of God and not the will of man. The true sense of what was happening was the revelation of God and not the will of man. Their will was that they wanted to usher in a earthly king and leader for the most part. That's what they wanted. But God was fulfilling his word and not the will of man. Popularity and the fickle nature of the crowd has little to do with the true nature of the will of God. Popularity and the fickle nature of the crowd has little to do with the true nature of the will of God. The crowd never stayed with Jesus. They all abandoned him as God's will was being done. The crowd is no true test of the minister's public ministry. As many who serve the Lord do it in obscurity and out of the public fanfare. There are many pastors who have gone to mission fields and served in complete obscurity. And they did not have the popularity of the crowd, yet they did it anyway, because God called them to it. And it, it is no indicator, popularity is no indicator, though it may be used of God to bring attention to ministry. And certainly we should not be jealous over somebody's popularity. If God has given it to them, it may be for a reason that he might accomplish further purposes through that ministry. But just because a ministry is small and not known to the populace does not make it any less important. Because there are many pastors called to small churches and they, they, they do a great work in those churches shepherding small groups of people wherever God's people gather together. 
and however God may lead them to a place of ministry. And so large churches are no more important than small churches, and perhaps in some ways the smaller churches are more difficult as it has fewer people to do the work and much is left to one who serves behind the scenes. Uh, I think one of the difficulties probably, and I've heard this a number of times, is getting pastors to smaller churches. It's difficult to get pastors to, to minister in smaller churches for a supposed number of reasons. But, and no need to go into those because we probably all have our thoughts on that, but um, it is difficult. And even though the greater glory in this world goes to the most successful in the eyes of man, the humble and contrite heart, O oh God, that will not despise, Psalm 51, is more important than the glory of man. It's more important than the glory of man. And then lastly, we ought to say something about the enemies of the cross here. Uh, the enemies of the cross cannot understand how the church of Christ prospers. You know, over the centuries, there have been many, uh, many events, circumstances, where the enemies of the cross have sought to destroy, completely destroy, believers and churches and the influence of churches. Well, perhaps today, North Korea is the best example of it. There are every, just about every Christian that North Korea can come up with is in some concentration camp and under severe uh, persecution. But they can't destroy the church, even in North Korea. It survives, even in prison. It survives. China is trying to stamp out Christianity with a great zeal, trying to do everything they can to, to uh, uh, persecute minorities within China, Christians and other religions as well. But there's, there's considered to be millions of Christians even in China under severe persecution. And what about India? India, the reports in, in India keep coming in over and over again of how that the uh, government uh, looks the other way while others persecute the Christians in India. And they have no particular favor for Christians, even in India. And so the enemies of the cross can't understand why the church continues to prosper. No matter how hard they tried to prevent the people from following Jesus, they were not successful. Verse 19, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Everything they did failed. They couldn't, do, they couldn't stop the crowd, the popular populace, from following Jesus. Again, the sense of, of God's fulfillment of his word is more evident than we can imagine. And so in Matthew 16, 18, And I say also unto thee, 
that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The work of Christ cannot be prevented, and moreover, the church of Christ cannot be overcome by the forces of evil men or devils. We can say that with every bit of confidence in our being. Because God's word cannot be overthrown and shall be fulfilled even to every jot and every tittle. And God told us even by Jesus himself that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. I think we have something really much to think about when we think about such prophecies as this. They are not fulfilled at the hand of man. They are fulfilled by the word of God. God fulfills them. And he uses people to accomplish his purposes. And Jesus did come to save. We must recognize Jesus as not only king and savior, but Jesus was sent of God and prophesied as Savior. Save now, Hosanna, save now. All men at the last shall recognize Jesus as the only Savior. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Father, that we can draw much from these passages to give glory and thanks to you for, that we do praise you, that we give our hosanna to you, for thou art truly our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And for our closing this afternoon, 391... 391, the lily of the valley. Three ninety two actually is the hymn number.